Hola. <laughs> that just came to me. Hi, this is Jen Grant, and you're Hi, listening. Hi, this is Graham K. Hi, you are listening. This is Adam Fox, and you're listening. This is to Dylan the... Mandelson, and you're listening to the. This is Brian Hat, and you are listening to the Julian. Hi, this is the word man of Alcatraz. Señores, señores. Hey, everybody! This is Little Darren Frost. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Fabio Mantovan, and you're listening to Julian Dion. This is Dave Sidhu, and you're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Podcast. Podcast hour. Showcase. You are listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Hola. This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour, episode 19. Oh, legal age. Drinking can't. Legal. Episode 19 with Dean Young is brought to you once again by Echo One Photography. Toronto listeners, this is this is for you. This one right here. If you're a business person, musician, actor, comedian, whoever, and you need to get some headshots done, go to Echo One Photography. They do a really good job. Yeah. Also, if you own a business in the GTA and looking to get some product photography done for advertising or e-commerce purposes, purposes, Go to Echo One Photography, email Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E at echo1photography.com and enter JDCH in the subject box for special offers and discounts. Do it today! What a beautiful waste of time. Welcome to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast, episode 19, as the poorly read ad suggested off the top. 19, finally, legal drinking age in Canada. The podcast is growing up before our very eyes. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thanks to to listening. Thanks for listening. Great episode today. My guest, Dean Young, founder of Talk Hole, Canada's only podcast network. That's right. Just launched about a month ago. And we talk about that. He's also a comedian with a background in radio, so we sort of dissect his trajectory in the business and and all that jazz. Dean Young will be up in a bit. But before, how you doing? Oh, I should say, coming at you, of course, from Lemon Press Studios, downtown Toronto. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Are you good? I'm glad you're good. Or, oh shit, you're not good. I'm so sorry. I wish you were better. So whichever of these two uh, responses better suits you, please use it. Use it. Take it and run with it. 
Oh, it's a good day. Um, it's just, just overall, thanks to everyone who came out to say what this past Wednesday, November 19th. It was a great, fun show. It was one of the good ones. One for the books. Waste of time. Garage Baby was there killing it, as always. I felt like I had something to mention off the top, and I can't... Anyway, it's gone. If it comes back to me, I'll just spit it out. Coronation Street is so good these days. Oh, man, oh, man, it's heated. Any Corey fans up there? Anybody under the age of 69, 68, 70? That watches the show, it's so good. It's such a, it's just a, such an average. Um, sh like the people on it are just so average. Like I get really defensive when people call Coronation Street a soap opera because I guess technically it is, but it isn't at the same time. Because when I think soap opera, I think of you know overdramatic, crazy, uh, unrealistic sort of living life, mixed. Um, not mix, uh, inbreeding, sort of. Everyone fucking everyone. There's a little bit of that that goes on on Coronation Street, but it's such a vanilla, like, mild version of that. It's just, again, the people aren't very attractive. It's bad lighting. It's one of the only shows on TV that you'll see, like, old people fully making out, like, passionate love scenes. It's great. I love it. This is how average the show... Just to give you an example, this is how, like, like quote, average... I'm trying to think of another word on the fly. Okay, lack of a better word, vanilla. Kind of... It's a show that breaks the rules. I'll give you an example. They eat on camera. They eat uh, full scenes where they're eating. And I don't mean, like, at the end of a scene, like, you know... Uh, you know, you're leaving a scene like, uh, see you later... Bite an apple, leave. I mean, like, they'll start a scene eating. And usually it's the people It's the people with the lines that are eating, too. Usually you'll have some extras that are in the background eating to depict sort of a dinner scenario, a scene. And then the people with the lines just sort of mimic eating or don't even touch the food, really. But Coronation Street? No, fuck that. They break the rules. Average. Bringing you real life. It's reality TV. Scripted reality TV. Because they'll start, it's the people with the dialogue that, that eat the most, in fact, in the scenes. They'll start a scene, they'll actually shove, it's like a challenge, they'll shovel just their mouths full of food and then start saying their lines. Open mouth, chewing, talking, it's great. It's revolting. It's beautiful. I'll give you an ex another example of how kind of like vanilla it is. Like it's a mild shush. Mild. Ah, I wish I could think of the word. I'm, I'm, email me, pod, P-O-D, at jdcomedyhour.com if you can come up with the word I'm trying to describe. I think kind of vanilla or like safe, I guess. Here's an example of a storyline. And they stretch storylines over a few episodes. There was the bistro owner. Someone came to slight him. By unplugging his fridge and he lost all of his meat. Do you know what I mean? Kind of vanilla. Like, it's not a murder. Even though there are some murders that happen, but... Okay, here's a, here's a perfect example of what I'm trying to say. Okay, here's a, here's a storyline. Okay, this is how light or vanilla it is. Fuck, I wish I could think... That doesn't feel right, the word. But here, okay, here's what I'm trying to talk about. Tell you. Say it. 
I'm trying to say. Okay, storyline. There's uh, Fizz and Chesney, brother or sister, both redhead. That's that's not important. I don't know why I said that. And they have a mother, but they're estranged. Their mother is estranged. They haven't seen her in years, and they couldn't be happier about that. They're fine with it. She's selfish. She only thinks of herself, and they want nothing to do with their mother. They're, in fact, raising their own families on their own. There's some kids in the picture. There's some, uh, I don't know if they're married. They're, like, in long-term relationships. They're getting along just great without their mother, and they couldn't be happier about the fact that she's not in their lives, and they're not in hers. But all of a sudden, knock at the door. Who is it? It's Fizz and Chesney's mother back in the picture. Oh my God, what does she want? She wants something. She always wants something. She hasn't been around in years. She's never met her grandkids. All of a sudden, she shows up at the door like everything. She wants to pick up where we left up. Fuck that. So they reject her. They turned. They turn on her. They're, she's no more than an acquaintance to, to them. Certainly not a mother. So they're kind of polite, but they reject her. They're weary. What does she want? She wants something. Ooh, I just know it. She just, I know it. She's selfish. She's going to be around for about a week, week and a half. Her, her visit lasts the whole week, the whole time. They're, they're wondering, what does she want? There's something different about her, but what does she want, though? I don't know. There's something off, but she wants something. She's selfish. Her trip comes to an end. She's leaving. She's on her way to the bus stop. She, on the way to the bus stop, she confesses to Chesney's girlfriend, her potential future daughter-in-law, that you know what? You know the real reason she's here? She's actually ill. She's not doing too well. Her days are numbered. That's why she's here. She didn't want anything from her family other than their love and appreciation and acceptance. She just wants her children back, her grandchildren back. She wants her family. Because it turns out she might not have that long. She's not well. So Chesney's girlfriend rushes off after she hears this confession. Oh my God, can't believe we were so rude to her. She runs back, tells Fizz and Chesney, you guys, your mom actually doesn't want anything. She's ill. She's not well. That's why she showed up out of the blue. She's trying to burn this bridge. The bridge had been burnt for so long. It wasn't, there wasn't even a bridge anymore. There was no roads leading up to the bridge. It was just like two pegs on the side of a cliff. It's like, oh yeah, that bridge was... That's, they didn't, they're like, oh my God, she's ill. What? Yes. She's sick. You guys? This is why she's back. Oh my God, what have we done? So they feel horrible. Here we are, our mother's trying to make amends. Our mother, here we think she's selfish. It, we find out she's sick. Oh. So they run to the bus stop. They catch her in time, luckily. She's still there. She's still there, hasn't caught the next bus out of town yet. They bring her home. Mom, oh my God, we're so sorry. We had no idea. How could you hide this from us? You should have just come right out and said it, that we didn't know that you're ill. And she admits, yeah, 
I know, I should have said something, but you know what? I'm not well. I'm very ill. Turns out her diagnosis, osteoporosis. Early onset osteoporosis. You know what I mean? They couldn't even make her terminally ill. She could, you know, this is what I mean by like vanilla. Or, or the word I'm looking for. Email me the word pod, P-O-D at jdcomedyhour.com. Early onset osteoporosis, no less. All right. I'm going to get to my guest right away because we had a nice long chat and uh, I think you'll like it. I think you'll uh, enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, like I said, we talk comedy, we talk radio, we talk podcasting, we touch a little bit on everything we talk about. Owning a home in Toronto, that's right. And uh, he's a good guy, you're going to enjoy him. Hey, you're going to enjoy him. Him. Take your time. Breathe. You're going to enjoy him a lot. Enjoy my chat now with Mr. Dean Young. You and me belong. Just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy hour. You guys remember Degrassi High, the original? Yeah. That was a dark show, right? Can you guys agree with me on that? Like, that was... That was a pretty serious show. Like, I remember being a kid, and I'd be watching, like, let's say Saved by the Bell, right? (laughs) Saved by the Bell was always, like, a nice, innocent time, and every episode was pretty much the same. It was always, like, they're hanging out in the max there in the diner, you know, drinking some root beer floats, figuring out how to pull another fast one over an old principal building. (laughs) Nice, innocent time. And then you'd flip channels over to Degrassi, Shit got real instantly, every single time, right away. It'd be like, oh, I'm pregnant. Well, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm shooting myself in the head during fifth period math. (laughs) What the hell is going on? It was true, but the reason why, you guys... uh, Look, okay, I don't want to, like, start dropping conspiracy theories on you guys here, but the reason why is because Degrassi High was created by the Canadian government to keep kids in line through fear. (laughs) It was. It was, right? And it worked. It worked, too. Because, like, I remember watching Degrassi when I was a kid, and I would always think, like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. Like, the older I get when I'm a teenager, if I act like an asshole, bad things are going to happen to me, right? Like... I could get into a drunk driving accident, or I could take some bad acid, <laughs> or I could get AIDS. I know that's a room killer, you guys, but it happened on Degrassi. You could Wikipedia that if you don't believe me. <laughs> or I could go on a cross-country road trip to find my biological parents and get picked up by an old dude in a wood-paneled station wagon. <laughs> Who rubs your inner thigh just a little bit. <laughs> Happen to wheels, you guys. Okay, everybody, that is my guest uh, that you just heard there. He's, uh, he's a fantastic gentleman. He's a comedian. He's a radio guy. He's a writer, producer, 
podcaster. He does it all. He's a man of many hats, uh, comedy-wise, stand-up-wise. You can see him perform all over the city. He's got a few shows under his belt. He's got a special, no kidding special on iChannel that aired last year at one yeah. point. Last year. Yeah. He's got a weekly uh, show, Kitsch Comedy, at Kitsch, Kitsch, Kitsch Eats and Beats in Bloordale Hill in Toronto. He also hosts uh, The Night is Young with Dean Young, which is a uh, monthly, was monthly, it's on hiatus now, which yeah. is sort of like a late night talk show format at Comedy Bar. And uh, yeah, like I said, he's a, radio, he's a contributing writer for The Scene Magazine and Toronto's Awesome. He's got 10 years, a decade uh, worth of radio experience, both on air and as a writer. He's a podcaster, podcasting superstar. You can find his podcast, uh, the, uh, sorry, what is it? The Forever Young with Dean Young and Friends, right? Yeah, that's right. Too many that's Youngs and good. Deans. I know, they, they all have my name in them. And now his latest venture, which uh, we'll get into a little bit, is uh, he now heads, he's at the helm of a, a Canada's only podcast network yeah, I believe right. It's yeah, the only one. The there thing. was one Pod, Al- Pod Almighty, which you sort Pod of took Almighty. over and then sort of uh, rebranded it uh, under this. As I've said his name already a million times, <laughs> Dean Young is my guest. He's here in Lemon Press Studios. Welcome, gentle sir. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I I love being called gentle sir. That's I never <laughs> get that in intros. In Lemon Press Studios, you in do. In Lemon Press Studios, it's nice and cozy here. I love it. It's cozy. It's really fucking clammy today it's um, warm sorry for butchering your uh your intro a little bit i was kind of all over no, the map. that was pretty smooth because no one you actually listed many things it was nice well you, you do know. many things you're a man of many things yeah so okay let's um let's get a little background on dean young let's let's find out who is oh boy 31 years of age yeah coming yet, up coming up when did when did you turn 31 uh well by the time by the time this airs i'll be 31 but what? as as of time of recording i am uh three days away from 31 oh, three days shy shit. yeah but it's not like last year it's not like when i was in my you know my last few days of my 20s yeah where i was like man i gotta go for broke yeah yeah this is it now it's just like no now i'm just deeper into my 30s you're now. just deep so deep now in. i don't yeah how do you feel about being in your 30s I settled into it nicely. It's weird. In the last year, because you and I both turned 31 within like the same span. Yeah, I'm October, you're uh, November. And it's funny. I really settled into it because when I turned 30, obviously that's a huge, that's a bit of a milestone, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my cousins saying, you're going to get depressed for no reason. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. That's not, he was like, no, no, no. And he told me this story about how he was like out in his garage. Cause you know, where we come from, that's what you call it. We don't have a, gra- a garage. Garage. We have a garage on the, same, on the Minnesota uh, border, right? And uh, he said, I was out in my garage one day working on a car. I cracked a beer and then I just started crying for no reason. And I had no idea why. And I was like, well, nothing like that's going to happen. But it was true. I just got depressed for no reason. Did you? For like two days. Yeah. And I was just in a weird mood and just depressed. But now this year, turning 31, I'm just like, eh, it's just more of the same. But it's been a very adult year. Like, I had a nephew. There you go. Bought a house. I got engaged. Yeah, we'll get into all of that. Oh, my God. I want to hear about Now I'm an adult. And I love it. I love it, man. Like, this this birthday, this, like, last year was a big party, and I did, like, a a roast that Mm -hmm. we recorded and all this stuff. But this year, I'm like... I'm hanging out in your new garage. Yeah, I'm going to a spa for Christ's sake. That's nice. my whole. Yeah, maybe drink some some VQA wine. Spa is Paul a, Simon. Spa is a good way to spend an afternoon. 
But it's funny you say that you're depressed. I mean, so many listeners that are over the age of 32 will be like, fuck, depressed? Fuck that guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Because it's so young. I mean, uh, I, I didn't get it depressed is. at all. I was just like, I was like, all right, here we go. I'm a grown-ass man now. It, feel, yeah. it seems so official. Like, you're like... Let's do this. Let's. You have that certain wisdom to you, though. I feel like you have a certain <laughs> maturity that I don't possess. I'm I'm sort of like the quintessential man child. I think. Really? Oh yeah. You don't seem that way. I have. Uh, I'm responsible when it. Well, responsible is a loose, fast and loose word to describe a comedy career with. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say I'm responsible with like, you know, being organized and keeping all my projects in check. And yeah, stuff you have like a vision. That. You know where you're. Yeah, but as far as like personality wise i don't feel like I've, i'm that much different from what i was when i was a teenager really i don't feel any different you know i feel like i feel yeah i feel like emotionally and mentally i'm probably uh like 17 yeah maybe. exactly it's I, it's funny because a, a friend of mine told me like once it was actually natasha henderson who, who originally produced kitsch that you mentioned she told me, you know, you're going to love it when you're in your 30s because it's still a young decade. It's still, you know, you're mm-hmm. having fun and you're youthful enough and all that. But you're also sure of yourself. When you're in your 20s, you're kind of like, sometimes you're going to fuck up and yeah. sometimes weird things are going to happen. And sometimes it's still awkward because you're that's sort of the decade where you become an adult. But she said, when you're in your 30s, you're just so much more sure of who you are and who you want to yeah. be and who you want around you and what you totally. want to accomplish. And it is true, I have to say. Yeah. I guess most cliches are that because they're true. But I do find it. I'm just comfortable, you know? There you go. Any listeners in your 20s, you're hearing it first right? from, from two old hams. And any listeners older than us are just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you still have an ass. What they know we? nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your, your background is predominantly um, radio, right? Yeah. You yeah. started uh, 10 years ago, yeah. the ripe old age of 20. That's true, yeah. And uh, Thunder Bay? Yep. Hometown. It, hometown. Thunder Bay boy. How did you get into radio? Just sort of fell backwards into it. I uh, I started off in film and television. So I went to film school, mm-hmm. and then I was screenwriting from there, and I sort of moved around a lot. I was you know, freelance writer, and I lived in Ottawa for a few years. I mean, anybody, certainly your Canadian listeners will know that's not... Uh, Unless you want to do like government stuff and like PSAs yeah. and industrials, there's not a ton of work there for freelance screenwriting, let alone comedy writing, mm-hmm. you know. And then on top of that, if you don't speak French, right, which I fall into the category of, there's not a lot of that. And uh, I started doing radio. I started writing stuff for radio, and I, I don't know. I just I I loved the uh, the sort of mythology of it. Mm-hmm. I liked old school radio. You know, I liked the idea of these people being in a studio and just like everything was all about the voice and the writing on the page and Mm -hmm. that was it you know you sort of create this whole world where it's not dependent on a budget you're not having to scrap all this stuff after investing time and money in it it's just sort of in the moment theater of the mind theater of the mind todd glass talks about it like yeah he's like his analogy was like if you're filming a movie and you want a helicopter that's going to cost you like hundreds of thousands of dollars if you're in radio and you need a helicopter drop in a soundbite exactly and that's it and that's the fun of it and so i i sort of uh i thought okay well i i want to get into this medium and and like get into the old school origins of it like get back to sort of the roots of it and that's sort of how I cut my comedy teeth was I was working for all these rock stations mm-hmm. and writing comedy bits and on-air sketches and stuff for for morning show hosts and afternoon drive hosts and just like 
rock jocks, the like heroes of whatever towns I was working in. And that was sort of how I cut my comedy teeth. Just if it passed their laugh test, it got on the air. How do you, how do you, is there a formula to writing sketch for morning radio? Like, how does that work? Again, it's the whole, yeah, it's definitely the whole theater of the mind Mm -hmm. thing. So you're setting up a situation or setting up a premise without having to narrate it for the audience. You know, like it was, I actually remember it being a very tricky thing to get into coming out of film and television, like everything I would write was very visual and I really had to sort of slap myself on the wrist over and over again and sort of train myself to just write for the ear, mm-hmm. you know, as kooky as that sounds, but it's true. And it's sort of a different, almost more pure form of comedy where it's just all in the moment and it's live and there's no room to set anything up. Mm-hmm. You just have to completely take people with you right there in the moment. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how I started doing it. And what's, I mean, you don't get reaction from audience or anything like that, obviously. So is the test just the hosts? They go through it. They think it's going to land. Pretty much. Like, I mean, I saw things change in, you know, the era of like social media and Mm -hmm. Twitter and stuff like that. But even when I was first starting in in radio, writing comedy stuff, yeah, there really was no feedback unless a listener would call in and tell them about something we just aired. But until then, it was really, it was really just the hosts. Right. It was kind of like they'd go with their gut. If they thought what I wrote was funny, they would do it on the air and that was it. And they're also protective of their, you know, their personality. Right. Their on-air brand because they're these, especially in smaller cities and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. they're the they're the local morning show host that's on all the billboards and that's live at the Mazda dealership on Saturday in afternoon. In small you know? towns, like celebrity person or um, radio personalities are like celebrities. Oh, they totally are. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so weird. It was like, there was this one, um, did you ever see that Bruce Willis movie, Breakfast at Champions? It was a Kurt Vonnegut book, actually. But uh, yeah, he's like this small town, he was like a small town car dealer, but it's, yeah, you're totally a celebrity in Mm -hmm. these towns. When you're a radio guy and you're out, you know, at car dealerships hosting a live event and stuff like that, or at sports games, you're a rock star. Yeah. It's so funny. So they were, when I first started out, it's just like, eh, we might let this kid write something for us. Mm -hmm. And I really had to you know, prove myself to them. And then eventually they would let me be on the air with them and do bits on the air with them and come on in character and do different stuff. And Cause your writing is pretty good. I mean, I've read, you know, the, oh, the articles you. you've written in like scene mag, uh, really well, <clears throat> excuse me, written. When you say you were drawn to like the old school, uh, radio aspects of radio, what do you mean by that? Like just more of the talk of the personality based radio kind of thing or, yeah, absolutely. I th- where I think I first got into it really was um, Orson Welles, because it's the biggest cliche in the world for a film student to be like, you know, Citizen Kane is the be all end all. But it of course was right. for you when you're you know eighteen, nineteen year old uh, film student. So from Citizen Kane, I was like, all right, let's look more into this Orson Welles guy. And then I found out about all this crazy radio stuff that he did. You know, like he did this live War of the Worlds broadcast where people were in a panic. He had like this mass hysteria because people thought UFOs had actually landed in New Jersey. Mm. And he just really took the format of radio in, in the days before television. So radio was still the prevalent household thing that people would tune into every night after work, you know? Mm -hmm. And he just did so many innovative things with it. And it was crazy to me that like, it was the same format then as it is now. It's just 
it's a mic like we're sitting in front of now mm -hmm. and a room full of people and that's it and just whatever sound effects you have and whatever voices you have and that's it and i thought okay well this is sort of for me as somebody who wanted to be a screenwriter and a comedy writer this was like the purest form of writing because it all hangs on the written word that's right and from there it just sort of translated into everything else and i found that was like an easy path to get into stand-up mm -hmm. you know a lot of comedy writers for for television and stuff like that They'll do stand-up because it kind of doesn't make sense to be a comedy writer without at least trying it, mm -hmm. you know? So that's what got me into it. But I found I was so written already that that definitely was the kind of stand-up I was when I started. Right. Out of that, you know? Just, what do you mean, like stuck to your act, sort of like wouldn't derive, if anything? Not at all. Right. For the first, like, oh my God, I, at least the first six months I remember, I was like terrified of crowd work. Mm-hmm. So much. I would have my set. I would have, if I was going to do seven minutes, it was like committed to memory. Mm -hmm. Like, here's the exact amount I'm going to do. And I used to go to shows and just pray, like, I hope I don't get a heckler or like <laughs> drunk table. Yeah. And I would just motor through my material. And, yeah. you know, like any other stand up, like some nights it works, some nights it doesn't. I, th I think everyone, though, when you're new, you're so scared of the audience. Oh, and scared. yeah. You think you have no time. And it's the, the notion of going off the, the script, off script, is just so terrifying. And yeah, you just plow through. Someone can be like, you oh, yeah. suck. You're like, yeah, shopping malls are fun. Yeah, I had no, <laughs> I was so, because to me, I was, by that point, I was so used to not looking at my audience, right? Mm -hmm. I was always talking to a live audience. But the difference is it's me sitting in front of a radio mic. So mm -hmm. I can't see them, so it didn't matter to me. Or I'm in a voice booth voicing something, you know? Right. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in front of a live crowd. And I had done it a few times. Like, I did some sketches at the NAC in Ottawa and stuff like that. But now, all of a sudden, I'm in this bar for a stand-up show. And stand-up, what I didn't realize at the time, is, of course, such an organic, in-the-moment thing. Mm -hmm. You might come out with a set list in your head and go, okay, I'm doing 20 minutes, or I'm headlining this show, I'm going to do bam, 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 joke, go into this thing, tag it with this new tag, blah, blah, blah. I was so terrified of having to interact with the audience at all. I couldn't, because you have to be fluid with it, right? You mm -hmm. have to be in the moment and work with whatever's going on. Sometimes on the feeling of a show, as you know, like you might go to a show with all these things in your mind and completely throw it out the window just because mm -hmm. you might want to spend seven minutes riffing off of something somebody in the crowd said right. or jumping on a theme that the comic that just came off stage was going with. I had no idea how to do that at the time because of radio. I was like, here's what's, mm -hmm. here's my script. It's in my mind and that's what I'm committed to. So it, was, it sort of took a long time to find harmony between those two worlds, you know, to, to figure out like, okay, radio obviously has to be a strength for doing stand-up. It's just another form of comedy that I've been doing all these years. But I had to sort of like learn how to transition from one to another, right. which is funny because that's, you know, Going from film and TV to radio to begin with, I sort of had to adapt at that time anyways. Mm -hmm. So, you know. It would have been great if you hadn't adjusted and just showed up <laughs> on stage with like fart fart sound effects and like uh, bumpers. There was actually a clip of um, the first stand-up set that I ever did filmed uh, here in Toronto at this place called The Starving Artist. They're one of, they're actually, like it's still a restaurant that's open. There's a couple of them. Right. They're one of the network sponsors, but... Uh, I went back and looked at it, and I actually at one point did have a tape recorder with me and started playing these sound effects <laughs> for one of the jokes that I had. <laughs> yeah, so I actually literally did that. Hilarious. Because I had no idea. And when did you make the transition from radio to stand-up, or at least start to? 
when I first moved to Toronto. So I came here summer of 2011. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just geographically, I thought, well, okay, this, I had been humming and hawing over it for years. I had wanted to do stand-up for years and I didn't get into the scene in Ottawa. I didn't get into the scene in Hamilton. I didn't, there was no scene in Thunder Bay, really. There was like a couple of sort of like satellite club shows, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had just never sunk my teeth into it. I had never, anytime I went down to the U.S. or anything, I had never tried any mics out or anything. So when I got to Toronto, I just thought, well, this is it. Because there's a million open mics in this town. If I'm going to do it, then I'll do it here, you know? Right. I'll do it once. Maybe I'm going to hate it or I'm just going to eat it so bad and I'll never want to do it again. But if I fell in love with it, this is the place to do that. So, and immediately? Oh, yeah. Right away. It was yeah. just, you know tap the vein i mean that was it i was hooked right yeah. away because it was a beautiful thing you know coming out of at that point i think six years of radio i guess uh at that point i had been coming out of writing for so many other people for so long you know and writing and film tv and radio and stuff just the catharsis of finally writing for myself mm -hmm. was just an amazing thing to me it was just like holy shit i can try this thing out right in front of a crowd if it doesn't work, I know right away. I have no one to answer to but myself, for good or ill. You know, if if it tanks, then I have to figure out why and I have to deal with that and correct it. But it was just such a rewarding thing of just like, okay, here's a live audience right in front of me, right? And I'm workshopping this right here and now. And if it doesn't work, I'll literally just go sit down at the bar afterwards and scratch it out and rewrite it mm -hmm. and try it again the next night or at some other show tonight. You know. And did you say there was the Starving Artist was your first? Starving episode? Artist, yeah. That was a good room. That was a lot of fun. That's what Kitsch turned into, right? Yeah, that right. was the, it's the same venue owners, so. Oh, the, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so the show I do now on Thursdays at Kitsch, um, one of my many shows, <laughs> plug some of them, uh, it started off at the Starving Artist. Mm hmm and yeah, that was a great spot. Why did they move it? It was such a fun, intimate. Just a bigger venue. Um and later hours, they wanted to make it a nighttime show. Right. Uh, yeah, Starving Artist was great, was especially so when I first came to town, because in that summer, I remember, everybody hung out there. Mm -hmm. So I met so many comics in this town right away, right mm -hmm. off the bat, because, yeah, on Thursday nights, everybody just sort of flocked there. And it was hot as hell in there, yeah. I remember? And they had this big industrial fan, because mm -hmm. they had the little kitchen there. And so where the stage was, you were standing right in front of this massive industrial fan that's just like blowing all your clothes and making tons of noise. It's like a jet engine. No one seemed to really give a shit, though. Comics love that show. And you'd have to go stand outside and look into the bar through the front window, right. stand out there smoking and having a beer with everybody. Yeah. And just like watch for the queue to come and run up, do your set, and then get back outside because it was like a sweat box in there. But it was great because it was that one was of those fun, shows man. where comics just would hang out with each other. Yeah, that was a good, good, good. Good time. And you yeah. met your uh, fiancé there. I did at Kitsch at the new... Oh, it was at Kitsch. I yeah. thought it was at uh, Starving Artist. No, I met her at uh, I met her at Kitsch. But yeah, I met her at uh, my the Thursday show I do now. And did you take it over... Time. Oh, so you, Natasha moved it, who used to host it, yeah. to Kitsch. And then you took it over once it was moved? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, so I used to guest host it all the time. Mm -hmm. I was sort of like the john goodman to her snl i guess i was like the de facto guest host right that's a slot i seem to get a lot of people just make me their de facto guest host but mm -hmm. uh yeah so i was hosting it one night and whatever happened to her and she walked did, and did, did she ever do stand up pursue stand -up natasha the it? producer yeah. yeah she would um not much she would kind of like 
every once in a while, just like, ah, here's some stuff I want to burn through. Right. She always loved being a producer. She that was Yeah, because every time I saw her, she would either get someone to guest host yeah. or just do a shotgun show where everyone just yeah. brings up the next person. Yeah, that's right. She would, once in a blue moon, she would, uh, I think it was more often at first, but yeah, she would guest host. I shouldn't say guest host because it was her own show, but she would host every once in a while. Right. But usually she just got comics that she liked to sort of rotate and host. And I started doing that regularly after a while. Um, but yeah, her thing was producing. Mm. So she had Starving Artist. She had Kitsch at the time. Uh, we did a bunch of shows together at Comedy Bar. Uh, one off, we had like a label where we did a bunch of, uh, a bunch of shows. We were like the Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Look at that. That's timely. Mike Nichols just passed away. <laughs> right. We were the shitty Toronto. R.I.P. <laughs> Mike Nichols and Elaine May. And that's there you go. funny. That's his yeah. legacy. I'm always so fascinated by people that come in, in the business. And she had a relatively, you know, significant... I mean, that was a great room. And then oh, it was, just, yeah. I haven't seen her since. Yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean... You know what it's like. You know, you're out doing doing comedy every night and especially in those periods where you're like really grinding it out mm-hmm. and sometimes i think if if not a lot's happening at the same time it can probably get stagnant yeah stagnant you know and like you're maybe spinning your wheels and i think there's a certain eject point for some people where it's like well where do i see this down five years down the road from now right do i want to be an open mic comic forever or am i realistic about it do i think this is going somewhere or is it just like a fun hobby that i'm maybe mm-hmm. getting burnt out on because it takes up a lot of your life, especially... It has to, yeah. It has to, especially mm-hmm. now, like, you know, you and I are are both working comics and we have our other gigs, like I'm doing radio and all that other stuff. But as a comic, to make it anywhere, especially in Canada, because we're all going after such a small select, really, at the end of the day, like, such a small handful of paid gigs, really, mm-hmm. you know, even in this even in this city, which is, like, our main hub. But at the end of the day, you have to do, like five times the amount of anybody else just to make the nut. So when you aren't on stage, which is all the time, then you're writing Mm -hmm. or you're doing a podcast or you're going out to auditions for commercials and TV shows and stuff, or you're putting together a taping or you're putting together an album or you're trying to get writing gigs for TV shows. You're contributing to some blogs and some magazines. Like you, you constantly have to be your own PR machine. Even once you get to the point of like, having people to sort of do that for you, you know, like you got your agent out there and maybe you have some PR people that you're working with on, on a big show or whatever. You always have to be out there Mm -hmm. just to, just to stay above water. You know, even the guys who have sort of made it to the top in Canadian comedy, which again, even that sentence alone is such a precarious thing. You know, it's, it's the, the workflow never stops. You always have to work. And always, I, always. You take a day off and you feel it. You feel absolutely. You feel guilty. You feel. Oh my god! I can't believe like thinking back even just a year ago where I would I was a huge pothead and <laughs> uh, I can't believe how now I'm I've basically given up all my addictions for work. I'm like a workaholic now. I, yeah, I cannot. That's stop. your drug. That is long days, long nights. I just work all the time at something and yeah. uh, I can't even imagine before how I could just f- sit there and just watch uh, watch other people just do it. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like and it it's funny cuz when I first started really getting into stand up, mm-hmm. like you know, started making money off of it and getting on some good shows that I had been coveting and things like that. Took my family and friends a long time to sort of 
get it that like how much you have to do it because i think to them at the time they were just like you're just hooked this is your your addiction which is true too Mm -hmm. for sure but you you have to be constantly doing that i always say it's kind of like those people who go to the gym obsessively every day you Mm -hmm. know and they feel like if they skip one day at the gym all of a sudden they just gain 30 pounds in water weight you know that's sort of the way it happens in stand-up you're just like you take a week off or something, if you're not working on something else, if you're just taking some downtime just because of it, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not working on something, right away you feel like it's all gone, like you forgot how to ride the bike. Because yeah. there's also uh, there's also 300 people right in line right behind you mm-hmm. going after the same stuff, you know? Tell me a little bit about starting in Toronto. Like, how did you push through and get past that eject point where you, what you talked about before? Because starting in Toronto, first of all, there's a million open mics. Yeah. A lot of them aren't inspiring. Um, <laughs> yeah. To to, say, that's a nice way to yeah, put it. To, yeah. To put it nicely. Yeah. In the way that, like, I just avoid a lot of them. I do a handful of open mics. Yeah. And I stick to those. Because the way I see it, I mean, there's different schools of thought on this. Some people say, I just want to say it into a microphone, say my material, and that's beneficial Sure, I can yeah. subscribe to that, but for me, it's it's not because if I'm like enthusiastic about a new premise or or potential bit, I bring all this enthusiasm to a stage. Yeah, and if I if that stage happens to be in the back of some restaurant where there's eleven comics, no audience members, and I say my material into the microphone that so many people claim are beneficial, and it gets nothing. I then feel shitty about it. Like, I, yeah. and, I, and to take that around from shitty open mic to shitty open mic, like, how do you get, like, past that? I find the only thing it's good for doing these kinds of rooms yeah. is getting good at doing these kinds of rooms. Exactly. Because you'll yeah. see comics up on there. There's 11 comics in the audience. They're, yeah. they're not laughing at anything. It's quiet, but they're owning it. They just seem like they're killing in front of 300 people. They're fully confident. But that's really the only benefit. Like, so when. All you have at your disposition are those types of rooms. How do you keep going? Because because you can't, I mean, you can't just go to Yak Yaks and do a set or Absolute or, or yeah. You have to do those rooms when you start in a city like Toronto. Like I started, I had seven years experience when I came here, so I didn't necessarily need to go to fuck. Yeah, you weren't starting. You weren't starting fresh. Right. That's the interesting thing too. Is like everybody has their. I always call it their comedy hometown. Mm-hmm. So wherever they started. And I felt like I was lucky to start stand-up in, in Toronto because there's so many rooms you can do. And But yeah, when you're when you're in a room like that where it's just like a handful of comics talking to each other and there's no crowd, mm-hmm. I think at a certain point you're just doing that just to commit something to memory. Right, okay. That's really the only good thing about a lot of those. And again, they, for sure they're necessary. Like you said, like it's, it's weight training for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. But then you sort of you figure out who you are and you figure out what rooms you gravitate towards and what rooms you like and what comics you sort of run with and what your niche is. And especially in Toronto, you start to like, outside of just the clubs, you start to make your way onto the more sort of coveted indie shows that are going on. Mm -hmm. Maybe a Friday night show that pays you 20 bucks or something, you know, and, or just a show that looks good to get onto because they only book certain comics and eventually, I think everybody who is going to stay with it in the long run, because they'll either figure it out or life will figure it out for them. Yeah. But the ones who stay with it, that's sort of the way everybody makes it, if you will, like making it's a tricky term. But it's when you get to that point where you can actually comfortably peel away the open mics. 
mm-hmm. where you don't need to be out there doing them seven nights a week and running around in the winter and hitting four mics a night, you know, where you can start being selective about what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, what's my week coming up look like? Uh, I have four shows or I have seven shows, but three of these are paid shows and two of these are just cool, fun indie shows. And one of these is a show that I like to do because the host is a friend of mine. And blah, right. blah. You sort of melt back those layers. And again, everybody does it in their own different ma- way. Maybe somebody picked up a writing gig through doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. So that becomes their main focus and they're doing stand-up and that writing gig. Mm-hmm. Or they started a podcast like you or they got picked up by one of the clubs or, you know, whatever happens, you you just sort of find your way to like break free of those training wheels of the open mics every night some people love it some people do it forever right there's a lot of open mics now that i haven't been to in a long time that i started off doing and there's some that i still go to just because they're fun or just a lot of the times now the motivation is just there's a couple comics i haven't seen in a few weeks i know if i go down to this room i'm gonna run into a bunch of people Mm -hmm. so it's like a little hangout for a couple hours and then throw in a set and go home right and okay so where are you at with it now like what's specifically stand-up like we'll get into the podcasting and all that but with stand-up because i understand you've taken uh taken it dial dialed it notch holy shit (laughs) dialed it down a little bit you're having a stroke Uh, uh, this is a recurring theme on the podcast i struggle to get things out for some fucking reason it's maybe because uh, i don't don't know i'm french maybe i don't know so uh, what was I saying? I like oh, to do it live on air, so don't worry. Right, right. At least I can edit it out, but I don't edit it. No, no. I'll edit Raw things in. Actually, I'll edit more mistakes in. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to keep the theme. Um, yeah. Where where are you with stand up now? Where do you see it going? Are you? Is it your main thing? Do you want? Yeah. What's What's the goal? What's I see it now as sort of like. Um a tribute to tributary. Oh, I see it's contagious. A tributary to all the other things I'm doing now. Like where I'm at now is sort of my, what I call my way of making it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not signed with any club. Uh, and that's, I don't know. That's just not for me. I never got into it wanting to like be, you know, necessarily a road comic. I always knew I was geared more towards being a host. Mm-hmm. So I've always run a few of my own shows pretty early since pretty early on when I came to Toronto, I got into doing that early. Um, now I see it for me as a way to just bring all of my worlds together. So like everything I write for the magazines and for shows and stuff like that, those to me tie in with TV shows that I'm on and now the podcast network, which is the big project. And I see it as sort of a way of taking all of these worlds that I was always sticking my feet in. It's like film and TV and radio and then stand up and acting and blah, blah. I see it as right now I'm at a point in my life and in my career where all those worlds are coming together. Mm-hmm. And I'm figuring out what fat I can trim in each one of those, you know, pursuits or whatever that feels like an asshole word to use, but each one of those disciplines, um, but <laughs> I'm sort of each one of those arenas, but yeah, I'm sort of at a point now where I'm just like, here's the way I can bring all of these things together. I keep on doing a hand movement on the table, which no one is going to see because he's funneling, I'm things. funneling, I'm doing it like a river. It's like a tributary is leading into one big river. Yeah. Where I'm bringing everything together. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of seeing how stand-up can tie into all the other things I'm doing instead of them just all being a bunch of different things that I'm doing. I'm trying to like sort of build it all together into one career. The interesting for me at this point um, about stand-up, after being in radio for a decade, you know, and writing for so many other people and, and being on the air and stuff, 
the interesting thing for me now is I'm on the radio so much more now because of stand-up than I ever was as someone who's actually in radio. It's so fucking weird. Like, I'll go back to stations that I used to write for now, but I'm there as a guest Mm -hmm. to plug things. And it's so strange. It's kind of a cool, like, it's a fun full circle. Wow, kind of. It's kind of cool. I really am in my 30s, eh? So neat. It's so neat now. Uh, but it's it's interesting to like go back to these places where I cut my teeth as a writer, and now I'm a guest plugging stuff. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I've been hitting a lot of shows uh, plugging the podcast network because that's the big thing. So yeah, to me, stand-up is now a part of the overall puzzle mm-hmm. that fits. And I'm I'm comfortable enough now in it to sort of say, here's the stand-up I want to do. Here's what I want to keep. And here's the stuff that I don't feel like I need to go out every night and do anymore because now it's just an overall part of this sort of end game. Mm -hmm. That's all, everything funneling together. So yeah, it's interesting. It's like I said, everybody has their different way of like getting out of the open mic circuit and not necessarily getting out of it because it's, look, it's it's still stand-up. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not like I'm going and selling out stadiums or anything like that. I'm not on the road all the time. I'm sometimes on the road. But um, yeah, it's just a way of sort of finding my own footing in it now mm-hmm. and just going okay i don't need to do as much of this stuff right i'm sort of established enough to the point where i can be comfortable in it and figure out how it fits in with everything else mm-hmm. you know and it's interesting because i i had to go at it and grind it out at the open mic seven nights a week multiple shows a night for a few years before i sort of figured that out mm-hmm. and now it's a way of like okay i can get on this tv show now I have this on my resume now. This is all nice. This is all funneling into what I'm actually creating myself. Right. You know? But it's sort of, yeah, everybody everybody finds their own way. Some comics hit the open mics for years, and then they get picked up by one of the clubs, and it works out beautifully for them, and that's great. And they and that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be a road comic, and they're just fucking cut from that cloth and tailor-made for it. Mm-hmm. And they will be a rock star in that world, you know? For me, it's it's sort of just become a way of, taking all of the things I always did and making them my life's work, you know, Got it. which is weird. It's, it's maybe that's part of being in my thirties now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just get tired easier too. But yeah, for me, it's just all sort of supporting the same end game. And right now for sure, the podcast network is the big thing. Let's talk about that. Let's get into it yeah. a little bit. Talk hole. Talk hole. Talk hole. I know a lot of people always go taco <laughs> and they say, no talk hole. Elijah Schlesinger was here for um, JFL 42, mm-hmm. uh, as 42 other people were. Mm-hmm. Or no, 42 people. Otherwise, it'd be JFL 43. She was one of the 42. But anyways, I had to call her up for the magazines, and I was like, oh, I'm doing this podcast network. This is, you know, we're doing like a Canadian. This is our answer to Earwolf and Feral and whatever. So I asked her to give me some IDs for it, and she did. But she, most of them, she just ragged on the name. Which was my favorite thing anybody said about it. She was right. just like, that is the shittiest, most awkward name for a podcast network. Talk hole? That's gross. And I was like, that's great. I'm going to use that. Thank you. I love that. Is that what you call it? IDs? When they're like, this is a yeah. lot listening? Okay. Yeah. I didn't See, know that's lingo. a little radio jargon for you. Right. Yeah. I thought it was a bumper or a bump. Bumper's kind of an old school thing. It's uh, We always call it IDs now. Like when you're listening to a radio station, let's say like... I'll use a real one, I guess, because I can't really think to make up a fake one, but like Q107. So you're mm-hmm. listening to Q107 and it's like, blah, 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 this Q107, the 
Hey, this is Rain Maida, and you're listening to Toronto's classic hits rocks, yeah. 107 Q, 107, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's an ID. Yeah, that's an ID right there. Um, yeah, so I, I've been sort of treating the podcast network as a radio station in that mm-hmm. way. Like, anytime someone's in the studio, get some of those IDs. Yeah. Get some Canadian comic that no one's ever heard of going, hey, this is so-and-so. You're listening to Talk Hole. But yeah, that's that's my baby for sure. That's the and how project. did that come about? Um because there was there was a Canadian podcasting network. Yeah. Pod Almighty. Yeah. Now defunct. Yeah. And there 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 are some that like, you know, exist online or, or run shows or whatever. But the idea was to have our own real full fledged Canadian podcast network where we mm-hmm. have a home studio that people come into and we pick up sponsors and just sort of highlight all of these podcasts here in Toronto and beyond mm-hmm. that some great comics are doing. And even beyond that, there's some we've we have some shows on there that aren't even necessarily comedy podcasts. They're just good, solid podcasts that mm-hmm. we thought were different and interesting. And um, But yeah, how did that come about? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, for me, it was the... Again, it was my way of sort of going, okay, how do I finally bring together radio and comedy? Like, I've kept these worlds so separate, so apart. Right. And Because yeah, you love podcasting. I from, absolutely... From what I... We've talked, obviously... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in our lives, yeah, in the past, and uh, you love you are a huge uh, podcaster. You have your own podcast and yep. listen to them, and uh, it just seems like the natural thing. And coming from radio and all that, before you mentioned that you saw radio change in that uh, with social media. Yeah. Oh, it. absolutely. Is that like in what way? Do you mean? Yeah, in what way, basically? I think it made, um, like, as far as traditional, like, terrestrial radio, if you will, just regular tune-in radio, um, I think it just found it was a new way for for them to connect with an audience, which was necessary. I know that sounds like a simple thing, but it was so necessary because 10 years ago, when I was first starting out, that's when satellite was, like, a brand, brand new thing, right? Right. And satellite was just this giant monster that was coming to destroy terrestrial radio forever, and it was mm-hmm. going to be buried forever. Kind of like people said about shooting movies digitally right. versus film back then, you know? Like, when I was in film school, it was like, digital's here, and people are going to destroy film projectors everywhere. No one's going to shoot on 16 or 35 right, mil right. anymore. It's dead. It's gone. Which, of course, turned out not to be true. It's the same as, like, vinyl albums versus mm-hmm. MP3s, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, yeah, it was just... It, d- social media was a way for radio to sort of adapt and just engage with its audience and keep the loyal audience. Got it, and, right. You know, in the face of this new thing coming in. And, again, s- satellite radio isn't going anywhere. That's still here 10 years later. Yeah. It didn't destroy radio. It just... It's basically two different ways to get the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that kind of all sort of bleeds into podcasting, which Absolutely. is which is all of those things. It's like radio with social media minus any rules, which is the that's what I fell in love with with podcasting. To me, again, because if I'm going back to when I first did radio, so long before stand up, you know, when I first started radio, and I was all about the origins of radio and all about the simplicity of it and all about the sort of history of it, the golden age of it, of radio and everything podcasting to me the thing that stuck out right away was that it is exactly what radio originally started as Mm -hmm. it's just this pure thing where it's people with sort of no filter in some sense you know no filter um they aren't being 
not to sound like fuck the man, but they are being, you know, governed by some boardroom. It's broadcast from a studio, not from a boardroom. I always like tell people, but it's just a pure form of radio again, Mm -hmm. the way it started, you know, because all it, every podcast is completely different. When you start a podcast now, you have to think like, okay, what's my format? What, how do I have to, how can I make this different? You know, how can I play with this medium? I don't need any money. I don't need any budget. I don't need any props, whatever. I just need the mic and the people and the writing. And how can I do something that completely plays with this medium? So podcasting is just as old as radio itself, the idea anyways. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's just the Wild West all over again, you know, because it's we don't have all these constraints on us anymore. Right. And so when I when I got into podcasting, I just thought like, shit yeah this is it this is taking the things that i love like comedy and radio and just bringing them together and doing it my own way and you know at the even when i started my podcast a couple years ago i think i had four comedy shows that i was running and that was my main focus and and everything else that comes with that you know going doing tv shit and writing gigs and stuff like that but i always would tell people at the time like out of all of my things out of all of my properties if i was to give up everything tomorrow and i only got to pick one thing easiest question in the world it would have been the podcast because mm-hmm. to me that was the way i was bringing everything together and that was everything i loved about radio to begin with that was just never there all of a sudden it was here in front of us right not to make you know podcasting sound like this big holy thing but in a way it kind of is because it's going back to the roots of radio mm-hmm. and it's just liberating again you know yeah it's great and i mean the people that will listen w- that want to listen will listen and the people that don't just don't have to. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're putting yourself out there in a way that you can really carve out a niche for yourself and a, and a fan base. And like, it's, it's a great, it's a great medium. So how do you decide on the structure of your network that you're going to get a home studio and do all these things? Like, how do you come up with that? When, when I was at uh, pot almighty, I, I loved the idea of doing a podcast that felt like I was going in a radio station to plug something. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of having a home studio. Not only because, I mean, it's great to be able to bring guests into a studio. You know, it just has that yeah. level of sort of, this is a legit thing. This mm-hmm. is where this is a form of broadcasting. But it also, again, it just made me sort of think back to those days of like, think about all these old school radio actors in a studio together, just like grinding stuff out and just creating these new, exciting things that nobody had ever done before. And I loved the idea of being in a studio with a podcast because podcasting is such a, it's a do-it-yourself medium. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how it started. It started in people's garages and around the kitchen tables and mm-hmm. in green rooms at comedy clubs and stuff like that. And people with everything from a cell phone to a MacBook to a Zoom recorder, whatever they were using, you know. I loved the idea of taking that new medium and just legitimizing it and going, Let's treat this like radio. Let's have a home studio. Let's get sponsors. Mm-hmm. But we're podcasting. We're saying what we want. We're doing the shows we want. We're creating things that haven't been done before in that environment. And we didn't have that in Canada. Pod Almighty had that set up. And when when Pod Almighty came to an end, I thought, well, I, I had this whole sort of template worked out for it. I thought, here's where I want to take it next. Here's what I think we should do. Here's what I think it should look like. And I sort of looked at how these new podcast networks springing up in the States were doing things. So like Feral and Nerdist and Earwolf and stuff like that. And I thought, why don't, uh, probably the same reason why Comedy Network happened in Canada, right? Right. 
say what you will about it now. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other episode. But just the idea of like, they have one, why can't we? Mm -hmm. You know, Canada, and of course for us right here in Toronto, like we have such a huge base of just insanely talented comics Mm -hmm. and podcasters, all these people starting their own shows up, good shows that really should be exposed to people. And I thought, strength in numbers. Why don't we have a home studio? Why don't we bring them together under one umbrella? Why don't we try and get people listening to these as much as possible and try and get some sponsors tied in so we can do live shows and mm-hmm. and just build our own thing. Because doing anything in showbiz in Canada, not just comedy, but everything that ties in with that, you definitely have to build your own things. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a double-edged sword in Canada. It's, it's both an opportunity and a flaw, of course. Because we aren't America and we live next door to America. You know, so we're right beside this just showbiz behemoth, Mm -hmm. the showbiz capital of the world. And so, of course, we're overshadowed by their content. That makes sense. You know, that makes total sense. And so it's hard for us to get recognition for the people in this country. And it's hard for anybody to make it in this country because, again, there's just not that big of a pool of money. It's hard to get our own Canadian audience to watch and listen to things. But on one side, it's also just a huge benefit too in some ways because it's almost like a frontier yeah there's so many things that we haven't done yet here or that nobody else is doing totally i I agree with that and i mean it's it's funny you say that you have to create your own opportunity and you do in canada and in the states they have more it's like it's reverse mentality like in the states you could very well be a comic and just wait for opportunity to land on your lap yeah because there is enough of that to go around but it's really not like that. When you go around in the States, a lot of comics, most of them in the States, have this crazy work ethic. They yeah. sort of understand the template. They get, you know, I've talked about this with Darren Frost. Great um, example, for sure, of a lot of this stuff. And he, like, in Canada, you'd get made fun of if you have a business card. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? In the States, everyone has a business card. Everyone has merch. People that yeah. shouldn't, by the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Terrible comics are working as a result. I've yeah. seen some really bad acts that are just... But they're ma- they're making a living off comedy. Yeah. They understand the template. They treat it as a business. And in Canada, where we don't have that opportunity, so many comics will just sit there, wait for opportunity to land yep. on their, uh, fall in their laps. And again, they'll, they'll be the first one to make fun of you if you have a business card yeah. or sell merch. But it's like, yeah, you have to carve out... It, and treat it like a business. People feel like uh, you're you're taking away from the art side if you're good at the business side. And, exactly. And you yeah. can't marry the, these two. And you can, absolutely. And you, you have can to. And you have to, yeah, yeah. In Canada especially. And Frosty is, Darren Frost is such a good example of that. I remember he did an episode of my podcast one time and I, and I came out of it like, and I think I was, fuck, it was probably like maybe like the 10th episode or something. It was a long time ago. And uh, I came out of it just going like, Holy shit. This was simultaneously like the most eye-openingly depressing episode, right. but at the same time, so fucking invigorating mm-hmm. for a young comic like me and somebody who was trying to build all of my own things. Cause here's this guy who at the time he had just put out like his fourth DVD, mm-hmm. you know, and he has gotten to, you know, the rise through the ranks and stand up in Canada for good or ill, whatever that means. And it was just sort of so affirming to see a comic of that level just go yeah look i get to do all these clubs and people kind of know who i am across canada because yes it's canada but i mean my voice is heard on all these animated shows and Mm -hmm. i'm constantly doing my own tours across the country put out four dvds i'm on sirius all the time blah 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 blah. great resume right 
But at the same time, he was like, even after doing this for almost 30 years and at the level I'm at, I still have to work at it just as hard as I did when I was starting out. Mm-hmm. So I always have to have like five, six, seven projects on the go at all times mm-hmm. if I want to keep what I've accumulated so far. Right. You know, it's it's not like the States where you can strike it rich and get that one good gig and hopefully that makes it for you. Just because we don't have that showbiz infrastructure here. Yeah. So even when you make it, and again, I'm putting air quotes around that because what does that mean in Canada? Basically, it means you get to pay your bills, literally pay your bills off of doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And then you just work to sustain that. I think that's a big difference. The American dream in comedy, like anything else in comedy and showbiz in the States, is you could strike it rich. Right. I think the flip side of that, the Canadian dream is you don't have to do a nine to five job. If you work really yeah. hard at it, you can get the satisfaction of doing what you were meant to do and what you're good at and what you love and what fuels you creatively and and just gives you all the outlets you need. You can get to do that for a living here, but mm-hmm. you have to sort of build those opportunities yourself, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm of the mind that you can definitely have a good career in Canada, you know? You like, for sure can. And it's always nice to see people who stay here mm-hmm. and make it work. Because again, there are few and far between TV properties here and movies and stuff like that. But I just love it when you see people who are insanely talented in this country. And you know that if they went to the States, they probably would have a good shot of making it down there. But they also just want to be in Canada. Mm-hmm. They want to live in Toronto or they want to live in Vancouver and do what they love. And it's nice for us, too, as a showbiz and as a country, when those people stay here and actually build things. I like seeing people in Canada who are on TV who should be on TV. Right. You know, like I just did a show with um, Norm Susie the other day, and he's got this new show on Super Channel, Too Much Information. And we were talking about that. It's nice to see all these panels of comics going on his show and him even hosting the show and having fun with it. And it's going to be a good show. And how long will it last? Who knows? Hopefully a long time, you know, knock on for Micah. But uh, it's just nice to see people doing that in Canada. Mm -hmm. Every time someone who's truly talented stays here and helps nourish the scene a little bit and creates content for Canada that Canadians hopefully will catch on to and, and dig fuck then we're laughing you know we just need more and more of that so that's the struggle i think all the time so people like you and people like me and a million others who are trying to like build our own content and build our own things the opportunity is there for us to do that Mm -hmm. we might not get rich at the end of the day in fact we probably won't but we'll be able to make some shit that we're pretty proud of and hopefully that canadians catch on to and Mm -hmm. go like oh we need more of this this is cool okay we can do this in our own backyard and again, people have been saying this for a million years, but that's only because it's true. Right. You know? So back to the network. Yep. How many people, uh, how many shows do you have right now? Because you're what, three, four weeks in since launch? Yeah, we, um, we this weekend, uh, again, when this airs, it'll be like a couple weekends ago. Um, this weekend, we're heading into our studio. Actually, I'm going I'm to put this out today. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was nice. going to say off the top, because I'm late for my Friday release. I usually do it oh, midnight, beautiful. like like uh, 18 hours ago or whatever. Look at that. I'm hitting the circuit today. I'm plugging. 16 and a half I hours came ago. from serious to here. Um, so you're not, you're still 30, by the way. I'm still 30. <laughs> and We have uh, just fucked with the time continuum here big time all day. <laughs> yeah, because um, so this is going to be today's episode. Oh, beautiful. It's late. Sorry, listeners, for no. being late. You know what? Love it, you guys. Love what he's doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're this weekend. We're in the studio for our fourth, 
full day of like a bunch of shows coming in and recording and guests passing so that's four through weeks. and stuff like that. Four weeks in the studio. Um, we have nine existing shows that we picked up and we have three new network shows that we're working on right now and there's some new ones I want to pick up in the new year. So starting off with a good boat a healthy dozen. Cool. So that it's a good sort of roster of shows that I really liked that mm-hmm. I want people to check out. And a lot of them are heritage shows that have been around a while. Some of them were Pod Almighty shows that were on there with me. Um, some of them are just cool podcasts that were that comics were doing that I thought, oh man, I want to work with them. Do you think you can have too many? Do you think you can dilute the brand by having just, if you sign, like I know you're not signing everyone yeah, and anyone, yeah. but I just mean like already. Because <laughs> like, then I'll be in the poorhouse. Um, <laughs> I think as long as they don't overlap. Mm-hmm. You know, so like if I have a, I'll use like Amanda Day as an example. She's doing a new like online dating show on there where she's just talking about the crazy shit she runs into on social media and on like Tinder and stuff like that Mm -hmm. as a single person out there on the internet. Um, I think it would be too many if we have two shows that are similar. Right. You know, but I, I like the diverse mix that we have so far. Like so far at launch, we have my show which is you know like an inside comedy show fair mm-hmm. enough we're just sitting there drinking coffee and i'm it goes off the rails it's uh but we have uh we have lifestyle shows we have a comedy cooking show we have a show that's hosted by three longtime radio and animation voice actors who talk about the voice acting business and they bring in guests who are like on kids cartoons and stuff like that cool and everybody makes it a little bit a little bit funny um we have a show that's hosted by a panel of four people and every every episode, every week, they tackle like a different topic and they bring in an expert to sort of like defute what they might think about it or like teach them something. Uh, we have shows about parenting, about sex, um, prank calls, a lot of inside comedy shows, a lot of stand-up shows. Uh, we have a lot of shows where comics are coming on and plugging stuff, shows that are kind of like a late night format and podcast. So yeah, the, the main thing for me is just like, oh yeah, we have improv shows, which are a lot of fun. So Mm -hmm. it's like people, comics showing up and just completely in character and it's just Mm -hmm. on the fly, whatever happens kind of a thing. Um, yeah, to me, it's just important to highlight what I thought were just some great podcasts and just have a diverse mix. It's sort of like, I'm thinking of it in terms of what would happen if I got to program my own radio station? Right. Or what would happen if I got to put together my own channel on Sirius? So the stuff I've sort of always dabbled in anyways and the stuff I've always wanted to do, it's sort of like I'll apply that radio logic to podcasting and build a network. That's all it is. I'll ask you the same question I did uh, re-stand-up, your stand-up. Where do you see this going? This is obviously your baby. This is all Uh your marbles put into the same satchel <laughs> is that know. is that a thing <laughs> it is now um, this is all of your pogs in the same play-doh tin <laughs> these are all your same all your peas into the same pod yeah pow punny oh shit um so what like where do you see this going do you, do you think this is this is it this is sort of your you said it's your baby but yep. career-wise this will be the anchor this will be what will propels dean young enterprise forward absolutely like this is where i see things going i mean yeah i'm always going to be on the air that's that's the dream gig for me mm-hmm. i see this yeah can we make can people make money off of it sure that's going to take a long time to build of course um for now the biggest satisfaction of it for me personally and my own sort of selfish reasons for doing it is again, just for me to bring together radio and comedy. And then the other end of that is just because I thought 
that's a thing we should have in Canada. Mm-hmm. So why am I not the guy to do it? I should be the guy to do it. And here we go. And I love it. You know, this is what I love. Um, but yeah, I do see it being hopefully building up and, and being a brand for Canada. Uh, I have a lot of faith that it could be that. That's why I'm sort of dedicating everything to this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do I think I'll quit everything else and just have talk hole? No, because even even if that did magically happen one day, I know myself well enough to know that I would never give up everything else. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to be doing stand-up. I'm still going to be going out to auditions. I'm still going to be, you know, hopefully hosting shows on satellite or terrestrial radio and all the normal stuff. Oh, you got very sultry there. I did get very sultry. I got very smoky. Like, I, like, I don't Cat think I'm going to quit anything because at the end of the day, I'm always going to have stand-up. I'm, I'm always going to have writing. I'm always going to be doing the things that I'm doing. I actually like that. I should have just done that the whole time. I like that. That's fun to do. Um, but yeah, I absolutely, I think if we really do this thing right mm-hmm. and work with the right people and get the right sponsors and get the right support from certainly right here in Toronto, but beyond that too, because this isn't this isn't Toronto's podcast network. The point is to have this be a cross Canada thing. Um, I see it taking off to that level where it becomes hopefully a brand for us. Mm-hmm. And leads to more live podcasts and live podcast festivals and gets a listenership across the country going and gets some notoriety. And not again, not just for me or my partner, but also for the podcasters, because these are just talented people, Mm -hmm. comics who I already liked working with and some podcasters I've met along the way who I just think should be highlighted. And I just dig working with them. You said your partner, you have a partner? Yep. Yeah, I I thought I didn't know the if you Wozniak had a, to my jobs. I didn't know if you had a partner or that's how you refer to your your to my fiance, fiance. Yeah. my my fiance. partner. She's getting more plugs today than anybody else because that's the whole <laughs> serious earlier was about her. But um, yeah, I I mean I started doing this and laying the groundwork and when I was going to take over Pot Almighty and everything. So there's a friend of mine. I'll give him a shout out, Mike Dohan. Uh, I worked with him years ago, uh, in radio and TV. He was like, he's like a IT guru. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, I can build the framework, build the page with you, which is simple, meat and potatoes, right? So we started working on it more and more and it just sort of became a co-project. So again, that's what I always like to say is the, there's no jobs without a Wozniak, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm the guy with the idea and who's hosting the podcasts and all that. And he's the guy who I love working with and also is is making it happen with me, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cool. for, and for us it's just at the end of the day it's two people who love podcasts and who thought fuck it's silly that Canada doesn't have this. That's great. So it's exciting. Let's do it. It's you good. know, let's it's make the, it happen. It's the frontier like you said. It's the frontier, my friend. Um you are going to get married. When when are you getting married? Uh summer of 2016. Some shit. Yeah, <laughs> could you plan it further ahead in the future? <laughs> I know. Well, we were going to next That screams uh, commitment issues right there. <laughs> I know. Well, we were Let's get married in 2020. <laughs> Let's do it 5 years from now. Uh we were going to next fall. Mm-hmm. But A, I want a summer wedding and so does so does Kim, my fiance. Next summer my brother's already getting married. Got it. So we were like, that's kind of a dick move and mm-hmm. she was like, well, we got the house and What's stuff. What's the We're, rush? Yeah. So you got we, a aren't, house. we aren't going to not be in love. And she dabbled in comedy. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But she's now still she, doing it. Still do, doing it, but she's a lawyer now, right? Yeah, she's a profesh. Professional. So she does both, which um, which in itself is a whole other kettle of fish. Like, that's a hard balance, too, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, because we both have careers. My career just is tied in with more more with comedy, but she's good at comedy and loves doing it. So she still goes out there and do, does it. And she's a lawyer. You're a yes, uh. comedian, podcaster, radio writer, a producer. <laughs> yeah. So we can assume she's the breadwinner in the in the family. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I br- <laughs> you say, you yeah. just deflated there. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We 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 don't really ever sweat it. Really, it's just like mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. It just sort of like. For sure, it's takes a load off some things. For sure, like she she happens to have a gig that makes that makes good money. I bring bread home, but it's like, no for sure. I'm not taking loaf. away what you're doing. It's just uh, no, yeah, know. no, it 100. Um, let's let's be honest. Uh, being a comedian podcaster, you'd be hard pressed to uh, we'd be in living this in an apartment forever, buying a home. Oh God, in Toronto, yeah. like a house. Yeah, you know? I know that part's still strange to me. Like we <laughs> haven't even moved in yet. Now it's just like. Now, and in right now, it's just too. a fun thing that I say on the internet. Right. It's like, hey, check out pictures of this house we bought. But then in like a month from now, we're going to be living in it. And right. it's going to be weird and real. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Well, like anything else, I remember when I proposed to her, I was like telling all my friends about that. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pop the queue. But it's one of those crazy things where it didn't feel real until that day, you know, until I actually did it. But um Pop the Q sounds like you're about to pop try some Q. drug. Like I'm it gonna, does, I'm eh? gonna pop the Q. Guys. Like I'm gonna do lewds or something. Yeah, don't take anything I'm gonna do in the next half hour. Too late, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting balance for her, for sure, because my my career and my day stuff all ties in, right? Like mm-hmm. radio and comedy is all it's all part and parcel to everything I'm doing. Whereas for her, it's kind of like this. She gets to do this like Superman Clark Kent thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like she's a career professional in the daytime, and at nighttime she gets to go out and do stand up, which cool. is I think a fun release for her too. Because just like anybody else who does comedy, she's always thinking about stuff throughout the course of her day of just like, oh fuck, I got to do something about that, or I got to tackle that. And then at nighttime she can put on the casual wear and go out and do it. You know, fun release is actually the uh, my girlfriend's pet name. She's my fun release. Um, do you want to plug? Ayo. Uh, do you want to plug anything, good sir? Before we oh uh, go for the close here, Talkhole. What's the website? Talkhole.co. .co. .co. That's why, a new thing. Why the, No, it's been a new thing for like. F- for I me. got sucked That's into a new that thing shit. for me. I had no idea. I saw it laid out, and I was like, "This is a typo." That's that's why. Okay, so not to cut you off, yeah, but I will, because that came out like it is your show. It right. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I forget sometimes. It came out like five years ago, maybe. Dot co. Dot co. It's a yeah. big thing. Oh, I it's, like dot co. It's a new. That makes it less confusing. It's the new dot com. It's yeah. a new. It was huge. They had a huge ad campaign on the internet, and uh, so I bought Julian dot co. I'm like fucking right. I'm ahead of the game, and it's fizzled into nothing because You've everyone thinks it's dropped a, it i've dropped it because it's a, a it's a typo everyone thinks it's a way t- to inspire confidence man well, well i'm just gonna plug the shit out of it that's i'm just all. saying you should buy yeah plug the shit out of it it boils down to the brand thing like before it doesn't matter what what it is yeah but if dot com is still available get that too because julian d or, or it was what julian down.com i have but it was i think um JD Comedy. That's what it was. JDComedy.com JD Comedy, yeah. was something else. But I'm like, fuck whoever that is. I don't need it. Dot co is the new thing. And I got yeah. JDComedy.co and dot I bought literally every domain. That, Everything they would like. Yeah, any spelling of my name, anything, it all goes to JulianDown.com. But I have JDComedy.ca. I had dot 
co yeah. but everyone would go end up going to dot com because i would have an email address j at jdcomedy.co everyone yeah. would send it uh, it bounced back i don't get it or your website's fucked up it's just because jdcomedy.com isn't actually anything but someone does own it anyway all that to say uh not to shit on it go to talkhole.co <laughs> i fucked i fucked up and like i changed my email everything oh back yeah then, and then i realized everyone thought it was a typo i d- I just have I just this totally additional email and Twitter on top of all my other ones. That's all. And do you, is talkhole.com available? No. Oh. I don't think. No. That's why. No. Okay. We want CO. Go. Um, but the Twitter's the same, at talkholepod. Buy, you should buy .ca and .net and all that. It's worth it because then people, if you know. I, I would like IS because I also have fond bu- memories of Iceland. You should also, bu- oh yeah, you bought it? No, I, oh. I should. Just you should also bought. Uh, you should buy. Um, uh, 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 I lost my train of thought. Talkhole. Dot, dot eu. <laughs> dot org. Dot net. I forget. Dot hole. Dot, dot xp. I forget what I was going. Where I was going Talk with that. I didn't mean to shit on it. I just because uh, I got sucked into no, it. No, it like, makes it's sense. The new thing, and then it's it the new bullshit. It hasn't really. Uh, done anything okay yeah I, i'm gonna stop that's um, where people can go is talk <laughs> yeah oh you should buy taco.com that's mm. what i was trying to say not worth it i am going to assume that that's probably taken yeah how about I, how about ta.co i'll tell you what if if taco ta.co that's probably that's out there that's <laughs> out there that's available if taco.com is actually by the grace of god somehow free I'll fucking buy it just because. I'll tell that to your <laughs> listeners right now. I'll bu- I'll go home tonight and buy it. Here, give me a sec. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, Taco dot. I'm sure it's something. Taco.com. You might get porn, actually. Pink Taco. Welcome to the Pink Taco Emporium. No, it's uh, Technical Advisor Custom Solutions for All Occasions. No, it's someone uh, owns it. Some lame sauce fucking. Someone, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Um. Okay, so talkhole.co.co. Twitter at Talkhole. Yeah. And what at was Talkhole Pod. At Talkhole Pod. And what was the other one? Uh, you can follow me at Comic Dean Young. Comic Dean Young. On the Twitter. And, uh, but yeah, Talkhole.co is going to be the. All right, brother. Thanks website. for doing it. Thank I you for having me. Appreciate it. This is fun times. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. All right. And watch your head. And there she is, folks, episode 19 in the books. You know what that means. That means next episode is episode 20, Milestone. Huh? 20 eppies deep. That's coming at you on Tuesday, November 25th. And like I promised last episode, the I'm going to be diligent and consistent on release dates. The days aren't going to change. It's going to be every Tuesday and Friday, new episodes. But the time's going to change. I'm going to drop them at, at midnight the night before so technically tuesday and friday but really it's like the monday night at midnight or the thursday night at midnight so by the time you wake up tuesday and friday you get a fresh epi ready to go ready to start your day ready to kick off your weekend if it's friday you know you know what i'm saying and be sure to stick around and catch the end there's bloopers at the end of every episode so if you haven't uh, go back and just listen skip all the way to the end skip Pick an episode, skip all the way to the last 30 seconds, and enjoy a little behind the scenes, a little blooper action. All right. Thanks to Dean Young, my guest today. That was a good chat. Thanks to my producer, 
Adam Fox and my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. What else? Thanks to you. Oh, God, always you. I appreciate it. Without you, this is nothing. Email me, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour and go to facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. What else? I think that's it. Mom, I love you. That's, that's that. Friday, November 21st. Enjoy your weekend. You're a good person and watch your head. It's just a waste of time. Walling eyes and itchy feet. I just offend the shadow. Walking backwards down a street. in a clip of your stand-up yeah probably in uh, uh, uh a no kidding clip okay you have those up there right yep oh yeah those are on the internets and um because that's usually a good quality one good crowd reaction and uh then i'll give you a short intro and go from there all right so beautiful say a little something something beautiful. for me check check this is dean young on the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. All right. Okay. One man brand. One man brand. You, not me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All my things have different names. It's confusing to people. Right. Your things are all one. One name. Smart umbrella. That's what I was, that was the whole plan. Yeah. For years I've been thinking. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, the, the the thing I was trying to think of was what to name it. Comedy Hour is so stupid but trivial. But my sister's in copywriting and advertising. She's yeah. like, it lit... Cause it has that old school charm to it, though, too. It, and the thing is, there's no... Um, my sister, who's, in, again, advertising, she's like, it yeah. doesn't matter what you call it. Like, yeah. just She's like, A and W. No one knows what, just what by the name. for, just, yeah. Yeah, the, the point is just build your brand and then people will know. Because, yeah. you know, every show I do is over an hour, so I don't know yeah. Comedy Hour. I just...